Hi, everyone. So I wanted to discuss this week the Ibn Ezra's opinion, or at least seeming opinion, in relation to the distinction between male and female, between men and women. So I'm going to start out by uh, the reason for the topic is really because I have about 20 or so even Ezra topics that I haven't been able to cover. And we are now um, getting to the end of Sefer Devarim. And next year, we're moving on. We're not doing the Ibn Ezra again. So I want to try to want to try to hop around with a couple of these couple of these topics. Um, and really, I also I was going to try to bring it in last week. Um, but last week we didn't end up, uh, I was away, we didn't end up having uh, an Ibn Ezra class. All right, so, so I want to start off from the beginning, and eventually we'll connect it to last week's Sedra as well. To go to Beratius, the Ibn Ezra in the beginning of Beratius tells us like this. This is in relation, in Paragal, Pesach above, the Ibn Ezra is discussing the creation of man. Va'ata Afarish. I'm going to explain to you, says the Ibn Ezra Daki, Nivra. Creation is for the honor of man. Man is the apex of creation. Man is the pinnacle of creation. All of creation is, as it were, to hather the man, to honor the pinnacle of creation, which is man. If you look at the way the creation takes place, and this is what gives rise to those who want to use the Torah as a source for evolution, is it seems that the creation goes from the more general to the more specific from the less complex to the more sophisticated and the more complex. And the creation seems to evolve from having higher life forms from the things that came before them. So life seems to come about from the water, from the from the land. That's what the Ibn Ezra says, that it seems that Hashem is using the earth and the water to bring about all the different varying life forms that we have. And after that, Hashem says to the angels, Let us create man. Let's us, let us create man, let us be engaged with the creation of man. And not the earth, and not the water. Hashem, as it were, along with the heavenly retinue, whatever that means, are going to directly create man rather than using the earth or the water to create man. And after we know that the Torah speaks in the language of man, this, uh, we actually covered this back in our early class, I think with the 11th class, we covered 
the Dibratar Kalashim a little bit. It's it's something that is fundamental in the Menezes commentary, but not necessarily uh, an adage or a dictum that he uses very often. But fundamentally, it's clear that the Ibn Ezra was very much swayed by the idea <clears throat> that the Torah speaks in the language of man. So when the Torah is saying, the Ibn Ezra is trying to make the following point, that man was not created just simply the way other beings were created. HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the heavenly angels, they had direct involvement in the creation of man. That's different than all the other life forms. The Ibn Ezra is bothered, as all the commentaries are bothered. What does it mean? Na'ase. Na'ase lets us do it. Kid. Na'ase adam bitsalmenu kid musenu. What does that mean? As the Ibn Ezra points out, Khalilo Khalilo leaks to Mus Hashem. To say that God has a physical attribute is an impossibility. The Ibn Ezra, like Maimonides, like many, does not accept the notion that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has any sort of physical manifestation. So if God doesn't have any physical manifestation, how could it be using the lush of Nasa Adam, the Salminic, and Husseinu? <coughs> and so, as we know, the public says, that nothing can be imagined like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So you, how could you possibly use the terminology of is somehow creating man and that looks like that looks like God. What does that even mean? So the Ibn Ezra is bothered by that as well and that's why his answer is The Torah is using the language of man to, to, to get across conceptually something that would otherwise not be explicable, not be understandable, not be relevant in any way. So it doesn't really explain what it means. It doesn't mean literally and doesn't explain the necessity of using such language, but to, it's trying to get across the point that there was a substantive difference between the creation of man and the creation of all other beings. All other beings have a... Um, the, the Their creation comes out of the earth. It comes out of the water without the direct involvement of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the angels. And the creation of man has God's direct involvement, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's direct involvement. It may be that man is created out of the, other, out of the Adama. It's not that man is not created out of earth, but it's different in the sense that it has, as it were, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's direct involvement. And the Ibn Ezra concludes this piece by saying like this, when the person was created, when Adam was created initially, he had two faces. Right? This is the Ibn Ezra is not explaining, but is a referencing a Gemara and Erevin. The Gemara and Erevin goes on for a, a whole block back and forth. How was man created? And the Gemara there brings down a dispute, the Machlaikas. According to Amanda Omar, the Gemara says that Adam was created with. Two faces. What does two faces mean? Different ways of explaining it. Either Adam had a, a male sort of face um, attributes in the front and female face and attributes in the back. What does that mean? Front and back, who's to decide what is the front and what is the back? Uh, or the idea that Adam was sort of androgynous. 
different ways of understanding what it means that Adam initially embodied both male and female attributes. And the Adam and Omar says that Adam was created with a tail. And what is what are this different modalities, different understandings of how other mission looked? What are they trying to get at? Trying to answer up the difficulties in understanding the Maisa Bracious as it relates to Adam. Maisa Bracious is complex in all ways and manners of speaking, but in the relation to the creation of man, there seems to be an initial statement that the creation was Hashem created man and uh, sorry, initially it says a little bit differently. Initially it says it that and he created him then it says in the, in the sort of the next pack it seems to suggest that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created man and there there's no mention of a Nekeva and then later on in Paragim we have a mention of a Nekeva as part of a process of Hashem saying, and Hashem brings him all the different animals, and Hashem is giving him a, a tardema, and and then creates from the tzela, Hashem creates chava, Hashem creates the woman. So there seems to be what is colloquially known as the two creation stories, what we're referring to as the creation of man, on the one hand, it seems that initially there was a creation that was was a creation of man and woman. And on the other hand, it seems later on that there was a creation of man. And thereafter, there was a creation of woman. And the second creation of man discusses the etzadas and not eating therefrom, eating, eating from the rest of the, the trees of the garden and the back and forth of naming all the animals and not finding a mate. Two different stories. How how are these answered? How what seems to be an untenable contradiction answered? The answer, as given by Chazal, is, or as specifically being taken by the Ibn Ezra, is Dai Partsuf. And there was two faces. That means that Adam was initially created in some sort of androgynous way. There was some aspect of Adam that was inhabiting both male and female. And later on, that was separated. What we're learning in Parag Beis and Parag Gimel is the separation of Adam, as we initially met in Parag Aleph and Bereshis. That's what later Parag Beis and Gimel are coming to show is how that Adam, which was initially embodying male and female, becomes then separated out into male and female. By the Ibn Ezra saying that Adam and Chava were initially Bishnei Partsufin, were two faces, that's the Ibn Ezra's way without, without telling you that he's taking one sheet of Chazal. The, the, the two possibilities were two faces or that Adam had a tail and that tail was later on taken to make Chava. And how each one of these sheets works is, as I said, the Gemara's next, the whole block of the Gemara right after is back and forth and going on both of these opinions and trying to answer from the Psukim how each of these opinions could possibly be correct. But the Ibn Ezra is taking the opinion that not that Adam Mishra was created with a tail and that that tail was later on used to build Chava, 
but rather Adam, Ha Adam, Adam was both male and female. Right, they were one, but they were two. And this is what it means when we say This is what it means What Ibn Ezra says has fundamental ramifications because in this understanding it's not that there was a potential to create a woman in the Zonav out of the tail of Adam. But no, woman was there present from the very beginning. There was a woman present from the very beginning when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created man, because man embodied both male and female. And if man embodied both male and female, that Ha'adam received the bracha of Puravu, and the Ibn Ezra points out over here that Umilas uh, Rak who mitzvah tukua kadmenenu. So um, the Ibn Ezra says that everybody who uses this pasuk of puravu milas arts as a as a mitzvah is, is not really entirely following it. It's a bracha. The Torah opens it up by saying ve'varcha lekinas adam. Hashem is blessing men, saying puravu. It's not a command. However, because it was a command to be fruitful and multiply. Therefore, says the Ibn Ezra, this is like a the rabbis used the Pasuk as a mitzvah, so you should remember that there's a mitzvah, but really this is not a mitzvah, this was a bracha. But before we move on, what I, the takeaway is that the Ibn Ezra takes one understanding of Chazal, the fact that there was two phases, and says that that's how they were created. They were created two. Adam was initially embodying both male and female. And that was what it means when we're talking about the quote, it's created male and female. So what I would like to do is sort of park that. That's the initial creation of man. Just to mention one other point um, that is later on, we find numerous different opinions about what kind of capability and mental capacity Adam has before the sin. What exactly does the sin change? Nichnas Bayeruvya is the classic understanding that man was intelligent. Man wasn't kikaif, wasn't like a monkey. He was intelligent being. And even as it feels very strongly that Adam, Adam, male and female, they were intelligent beings. Why were they intelligent beings? Because by definition, if God is commanding them, they were intelligent beings. Otherwise, what was there to command? So by definition, Adam Rishon was intelligent. And, and that means Adam and Chava. They were intelligent beings. And they were lacking. Sure. What were they lacking? They were lacking the knowledge of what it means to have certain... Um, lascivious desires, non-platonic desires, right? That was something that was not a part of their experience. That that the busha that comes about from that desire only comes as a result of the eating of the eight sadas that they didn't have beforehand. So the Ibn Ezra says that when the when the after the Torah tells you 
um, the, the mitzvah that Hashem gave, we, we, can, we can understand, we can see from that, he was full of wisdom. Adam, when he was created, was full of wisdom. Hashem would not be commanded, would not be commanding somebody who wasn't intelligent. So by definition, Adam, primordial man, was intelligent. Uh, he just didn't know about one aspect in relation to good and evil. He didn't understand in relation to um, the, 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 the notion of, of prurience that he didn't have any experience with, that he didn't have any intelligence for. And the Ibn Ezra wants to prove how intelligent he was. He was able to understand scientifically whatever uh, whatever person could understand at that time the nature of these animals, and he was able to name them as a result in relation to their natures. He was a really a very intelligent person. Hashem would never have brought the animals to see what their names would be to a person that was not intelligent. So by definition, you should understand that Adam was very intelligent. He was missing in one area of knowledge, but otherwise he was fully conversant as a mature, intellectual, intelligent person of, of that generation. The Ibnezer here, by the way, says a throwaway line that is... Um, very interesting and has a lot of effects on, on the tangential point that we can't get into now. It says the Ibn Gam Hashem Heraloi Eitzadas. Hashem showed him where the Eitzadas was. When the Torah says, Where is that tree? Where is the Eitzadas? We say, that Asher B'Soich Hagan, Amar Alikim L'Soich Halmenu. Asher B'Soich Hagan, it's in the in, in the Gan. B'Soich doesn't mean literally in the middle. For those who take it and understand, B'Soich is meaning literally in the middle. But what about for those who it's not, who don't understand B'Soich as being in the middle? Rather, it's inside the Gan. The Eitz HaDas is B'Soich Hagan, it's inside it. Where is it? How would they know? If it's the tree right in the middle with a big fence erected around, it says, don't eat. Right, big stop sign, big cross out arrows. Okay, then you understand. But if it's just a tree in the garden, how is one to know? Says the Ibn Ezra, presumably understanding the Seich as not being literally in the middle, like with all the signs pointing to it and saying, no, no, you can't have it. Rather, says the Ibn Ezra, Gamashem Herali Eitzadas. Hashem showed him the Eitzadas and said, This you cannot eat. Because the wife, when she was talking about it, she knew where she knew where it was. So that opens up a whole Pandora's box of why would Hashem go out to command him uh, not to eat from this tree of Eitzadas and show him what it is. If there's a random tree among all the trees and there's no special demarcation of it, the likelihood of the man eating from that tree is pretty small. But again, we have to park that point for now. So what we've seen so far from the Ibn Ezra, what I'm trying to build out, is that in the Ibn Ezra's view, man was intelligent. Man embodies both male and female characteristics, primordial man before separated out, 
is, is intelligence. That intelligence includes both male and female. And for the Ibn Ezra, it seems clear that the only area that man was lacking in was in relation to a specific aspect of, of a person's life, emotional life, and that's it. Otherwise, man was fully capable, fully intelligent, and man, primordial man, included female characteristics as well. Once they sin, right, everything changes. That's what we're going to get to next. But there's one more Ibn Ezra, and really Machlegis and the Rishonim, I think, which is worthwhile to mention because I think each one of these opinions has been adopted by, by, by many. And these are fundamental in understanding the initial view, the initial understanding of what was the ideal of man and woman. And that is the, the narrative interpolation that we mentioned. The Torah says, what does mean? It's a three-way machlegis Rashi, the Ibn Ezra, and the Ramban. Rashi says, means that You know what it means? That a person should abandon his parents and cleave on to his wife and they should be as though one flesh. They should cleave. They should cleave and become one flesh. What does that mean? Says Rashi. When they have a child, the child is going to be born as a result of both of them. That's how you become one flesh. The child is the genetic material of each parent. So that's how you become one flesh, through the child. Not a very romantic understanding of what it means, one flesh. But that is the understanding that Rashi puts out. Says the Ibn Ezra, what does it mean? There are those that say that what it means, one flesh, is that when they have a child, that child's going to be the embodiment of one flesh. That's very distant. One of the topics that I have is to go through the Ibn Ezra's appreciation of Rashi and I haven't had a chance to do that fully yet hopefully maybe we can get a chance to do that so maybe that's for next week but the Ibn Ezra doesn't often quote Rashi he does about five times in Flemish but it's generally with an exception or two uh, to to go against Rashi, but usually not by name. Usually not by name. The few times that he quotes Rabbeinu Shlomo, like I said, it's just a handful of times. Um, what is the Ibn Ezra's actual pshat? The Ibn Ezra says, what does it mean that they are one flesh? As though they are one. Meaning, not that they are one, but as though they are one. But then he continues, and he says, Perhaps they will become as they were. Or perhaps they will become as they were. 
Um, so I think from the Ibn Ezra, he's mentioning three possible interpretations. One is the interpretation of Rashi, which he holds as Rachuk, that is that the child is the embodiment of Basar Echad, the child who has the genetic material of both. He's he's the definition of Basar Echad. No, says the Ibn Ezra, that's too far-fetched. Another possibility is not that one flesh means literally one flesh. It doesn't mean literally one flesh. It means like one flesh. They're not literally one flesh. And then the third possibility is it will be that it will be what it was. What does it mean what it was? You have to go back to the beginning of Ibn Ezra, the quote back in Martin Erevin, that it will be in the future it will be in the future the, the, a notion of what it was. What it was was once that there were two parts of it. When it will be in such a future, it's not clear. It doesn't sound like a futuristic explanation. It sounds like it's talking about here in this world. But what it sounds like what Ibn Ezra is trying to push himself into, uh, or trying to put across is that it will be comparable, it will be seen um, the way it once was when it sounds like it was literally one flesh. Now I want to discuss the position of the Ramban. The Ramban says that Rashi is not correct. The Ibn Ezra didn't say why. The Ibn Ezra just said, it's distant. The, the, the Ramban, however, is clear that he doesn't like the approach of Rashi. And the reason he doesn't like the approach of Rashi is because he says, says the Ramban, Rashi's pshat doesn't work as a matter of Pasha pshat because animals have children all the time. And yet you don't say they become one flesh. And yet they're also 50% material from the male and 50% genetic material from the female. So aren't they also one flesh? You don't say that. Says the Ramban, I think the correct shot is that there's a fundamental difference between the zivog, between the, between the union of a man and a woman versus an animal. Says the Rabban, there is no real connection. There is no real dveikus between a man and a woman. Rather, a male animal and a female animal copulate at whatever specific times um, that animals or those animals are in their appropriate cycle. And there's no real mating for life. There's no real relationship. Obviously, there are exceptions. Science uh, has shown many different animals, fish, birds, uh, mammals, etc., that do mate for life. But by and large, there is certainly many, many more animals that do not. And continues the Ramban. And that's what the term means in terms of making the distinction between man and woman versus animal. Says the Ramban, men and women are different. They 
create a union ideally forever. And they are going to feel connected. They're going to feel as one. The, the male, the husband, is going to be fully focused and devoted to the woman. And that's what it means when it says, in a way that no animal is capable of, in a way that many animals simply would not be relevant for. And that's why is only relevant to say by human and not relevant to say by an animal. So what we are seeing from here is, again, the approach of the Ibn Ezra seems to suggest that there was an initial creation of man and woman, that man and woman are both nikhla and ha'adam, and eventually, of course, it's separating out, but there was diapart sufin, there was these two, two faces. Eventually, they get separated out, but these intelligent beings that get separated out are nevertheless still connected, potentially in a way that is more than just simply genetic material being passed on to a new generation. But rather, is they are like one flesh, or somehow it has a reminiscing back, a nostalgia back for a time that once was, a time that they were once truly together, truly united. What are the repercussions for meaning from the Eitzadas? The Ibn Ezra is very clear. The Torah gives a curse to the woman. Says the Ibn Ezra. What does it mean to Shukaseh? Shukaseh means Mashmaaseh. What the simple understanding of what that means. That a woman is now to listen to whatever he commands because she is in his. Rishos, she is in his domain to do his bidding, to do his will, to do his desire. That is to say that until the eating from the Eitz Hadas, this notion, this conception simply didn't exist. It wasn't there. This notion is a curse. This notion came about as a result of the curse. is all part of the curse that Hashem gave to the woman. Hashem gave a curse to the man. Curse to the Nachash, everyone got a curse. And this aspect of it, is in relation to power. The power dynamic has shifted, and the power dynamic has shifted to the male. The male is the one who now dominates the relationship, and she is going to listen to, to him because she is in his rishos. We now are going to jump far to last week's Sadra. So in last week's Sadra, in Parshas Kiseitse, which is when I had in mind to do this class, um, on the Pasek that tells us that cross-dressing is not permitted in Halacha. When it comes to Purim, we all know the famous Ramah. It's done without intentionality. It's done simply as a joke. That's not an issue. Obviously, other Pais can have their opinions. But what about on a regular day? A male is not supposed to dress similar Isha, and a woman is not supposed to dress um, in in male clothing. Says the Ibn Ezra, 
One of the subtopics that we have discussed, although we didn't discuss it in the environment, and the environment is probably the primary place to discuss, is the amount of times, the sheer amount of times that the Ibn Ezra discusses Smichos. Just to remind everyone, the tangential point for tonight, the ancillary point for tonight, but a fundamental point in the exegesis of the Ibn Ezra is that the Torah is not speaking in chronological order in the way that's different than the Ramban. Right? The Ramban insisted that the Torah is generally to be understood in speaking in chronological order. And the Ibn Ezra, while generally agreeing, of course the Torah is often speaking in chronological order, is very much willing to take the Torah out of its chronology whenever he sees fit, or as the Ramban says, willy-nilly, without actually needing to see fit. But the Ibn Ezra disagreed. And we said that the, as a result of the Ibn Ezra disagreeing and fundamentally willing to reinterpret stories as saying that they're not taking place at the same time, or one following the other, but rather a place there, then one really has to ask the question of smichos. When it comes to the Ibn Ezra, smichos must be very key. For the Ramban, Smichos is not key. Why? Because it's happening in chronological order. So you want to know why this is next to that story? Because that's when it happened. But for the Ibn Ezra, where the key is not chronology, then Smichos must be there for specific reasons. And we've said over this past year many different um, cases, examples, for the Ibn Ezra showing how Smichos is very important to him. And why the chronology is secondary, but the smichos is trying to teach you lessons. It's trying to teach you points when the Torah is juxtaposing one mice or one commandment with another. And in no place do you see that as much as you do here in Sefer Devar, where literally Ibn Ezra is every, every different page of the Ibn Ezra, every line, is another example. Oh, this is Saimich to that because of this. He has reasons for every one. He, he admits he allows what he doesn't say otherwise beforehand. He does allow here in Devarm, he does point out that Smichas is Bidar Drash. Right? Not a matter of Pashashah, which is very fascinating and interesting, but the Ibn Ezra is nevertheless, even if it's Bidar Drash, is still engaged in it. And over here, the Pasik of Layagi, Tigabra Ali, Alisha of the clothing should not be on the on the woman and vice versa. The Ibn Ezra says, why is this here? Because we just finished talking about war. And, and, and since we've been talking about war, this possibility of this cross-dressing can happen in war, as we know, has happened over times, right? Um, people in the in the thick of a war, in the scrum of a battle, they don't necessarily know. Right? A woman uh, can get dressed up as a man, as a fighter, and she might get away with it, right? And people not necessarily know. That she was a that she was a woman. They might think she's just a young man. But the minister, before he goes into his comments, he has a line, and this is the line that that I want that we will be focused on today. It says ki A woman was only created in order to be able to bear children. Then he um, and if she goes out with the men to war, she's going to end up coming to an appropriate activity. Why? Because it won't be clear that she was a woman. People would think that she was a man. And eventually it would come out to be an appropriate uh, activity. And what we're talking about here is obviously, 
you know, people would assume that a young a young man who has not yet had a beard or and the like. So therefore, Yisarev Manashim, and, and vice versa, a man can dress up like a woman if he's young enough um, to uh, to get away with it. As we said, the, the Ramah is not worried about it when it comes at least to Purim. But the rest of the year, it's very it's a dangerous thing. Why? Because Yisarev Manashim is going to go hang out with a woman. And it's going to create inappropriate activity. And then the Ibn Ezra says that, that um, it's clear that this was a, a custom among the Jewish people of the day. And so too by the majority of the, of the, you know, the various other countries in, around the world. That that uh, they had that men and women dressed differently. So if you ever wondered when it was that men started wearing pants and women wore dresses, um, well, certainly by the time of the Ibn Ezra, he was understanding that that centuries before, eons before him, there was a difference in the way they dressed to avoid this problem by not just the Jewish communities. But by nations around the world, so so uh, this is all to avoid this problem of inappropriate activity. But what I want to focus on is on that initial line. That initial line was created. The woman was created only for the point, for the purpose of of being able to bear children. That seems to suggest something different than what we've said before, which is that it would seem then that one could potentially be arguing with Ibn Ezra that the the job of being a Baal Aliyah is perhaps more incumbent on the men and not on the woman. So that's one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is this idea of lahakem azera of having children, is for the Ibn Ezra one of three possibilities of activity that takes place in this area. So I'm going to go now to an Ibn Ezra in Vayikra. The Ibn Ezra in Parakirches, Parashkadoshim says ve'leishes amitcha amitzvah lo yisitin shkom tolazar letom ava. So the Ibn Ezra Darshan's on this Pasik that what are we what are we discussing? What does it mean? It says the Ibn Ezra like this. That a person should should understand the Adanu There's there's um there's three possible Three possibilities of why one engages in activity in the in the intimate sense. the period of The first is in relation to having children, to procreating, and that's below taiva. That's there's no there's no desire there. That's just to procreate, um, and the Hasheni. And the second possibility is the Hakam Leas Haguf. That's uh, the same way the Ramam puts the Mishnah about the Hilzdeas. The Ibaris is just to um, to sort of lighten the 
in those days they believed in, the, in liquids in the body and humors in the body and so it was a way of of, of engaging in um uh in, or enhancing one's health and actually she lativa and the third is um doing it because of prurient desires that's comparable to an animal it's animalistic in nature animals are doing it for taiva so to humans uh, i'm not sure um that any animal has ever come to us to tell us what exactly they're thinking so it's hard to know um exactly what a what a what the quote-unquote type of an animal would be in what sense is that similar um certainly animals um as the ramban already pointed out as a general matter not always obviously there's some animals that do mate for life as a general matter it seems to be very businesslike it's not done with uh you know any sort of passion or tenderness it's simply nature running its its normal course but with that does that necessarily mean that it's not taiva not for the ibn ezra right for the ibn ezra that is by definition taiva that is that is the 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 fundamental understanding of what taiva is it's just simply to please oneself no one's thinking about the uh, evolution of the species or the need to procreate to preserve a species don't no think about anything everyone's just simply doing as the as as um as uh, says right my parents were engaged uh in intimate relations without a care about me but he was the one taking he was the one watching out over me so for the ibn ezra three different possibilities one is to procreate and that's done below taiva the second is is to sort of lighten the 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 body's humors and and fevers and liquids and the third is in relation to um the third is in relation to simply um satisfying one's um one's physical desires it sounds like from the Ibn Ezra, the first two are okay, the third is not. So if the woman is only created in order to um, and, the, and if the man is, act, if, if that's what the woman is doing and the man is doing the same, so then for the Ibn Ezra, that's sort of the, the ideal conception, the ideal world. I want to now go to another Ibn Ezra in Vayikra, a little bit earlier. This Ibn Ezra is in Paragvav. Parashat The Ibn Ezra says, on the rules about eating Kedosh Kedoshim, the Ibn Ezra is like this, Dam Kedosh Kedoshim hu, kol zocha bakayanim yechalenu. What does it mean that every male kayan is allowed to eat it? Im kol zocha, any male is allowed to eat this. She'ein roi le'echal achatas, she'ekrivu mimena, it's not per, it's not roy it's not wor- um, worthy um, of anybody else to eat the khatas. the only ones that may eat it are kimatmimim those that are perfected themselves those that are um, spiritual giants the the male is more perfect than the nekeva Yikra Zahar, and even a child is called a Zahar. 
והזוכר שהוא בן שלוש עשרה ראשון, כאשר איתי גבוסין, הזוכר becomes an adult, is 13, as the rabbi said, even though there's no necessarily some clear explanation in the text, that that's the age, that's clearly how the Chazal understood it, which is consonant with when a child is sort of hitting puberty, etc. So, again, a throwaway line seemingly in the Ibn Ezra, but what does the Ibn Ezra say? person can eat the Kredish Kedosh, eat the Karmachatos. Why? Because he's perfected himself. But the Torah says it's called Zohar. Only a male is allowed to eat it, not a female. Why not a female, says the Ibn Ezra? Notice that the Ibn Ezra doesn't say that the woman is not a Tomin. He says, A man is more Tomin than a Nekeva. Why is a man more Tamim than a Nekeva? That is not 100% clear. So what I've tried to show is a bit of a survey of the Ibn Ezra. That is how we've started from the beginning in relation to the man and the woman being created together to, as a result of the curse of eating from the Eitz Hadas, the woman is now going to be virtuous of the man. And we've shown that the 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 idea of the Vegas between a man and a woman and bringing them together, that union, the ideal of becoming Basar Echad is in relation to is in relation to um becoming one flesh. The Ibn Ezra gave us three different possibilities. One was in the child, which he didn't like. The second was like one flesh, which was a possibility, or that in the future, in the in the future, there will be a way, perhaps, to uh, bring it back to the way it was. We are short on time now, but I mentioned, I mentioned um, in Shurim back in Shemais, two very interesting Ibn Ezra's. One in relation to the the um, Kiar, that the Kiar was created by the woman who gave up their mirrors and their combs and were no longer trying to beautify themselves and instead were solely focused on Lishmaya and going to listen to the mitzvahs and going to learn and were dis, uh, removing themselves from the Chayi Hazan and that the Ibn Ezra saw as very laudable and the other was in relation to the the jewelry that we had by the Mishkan, where the understanding of Chazal, the understanding uh, of Rashi and others is that the the Aaron Akain went to the woman and asked them for um, the, the the men. They went to the woman to ask them for their jewelry for the Mishkan uh, for the for the what would became the Egel, and they said no. And instead they took they took their own stuff and they used that to create the ego because the woman wouldn't give any of it. But the Ibn Ezra doesn't understand it that way. The Ibn Ezra understands it, then in fact they did. Then in fact the woman did give their uh, jewelry. And the way I'd like to see that, the way I'd like to suggest that is this, that the reality is that 
certainly there are physical, genetic, and other differences, physiological, existential, between man and woman. The Ibn Ezra doesn't disagree with that. But there was an aspect of a closeness to man and to woman that existed in primordial times, that existed before the eventual separation out. And that separation out included a fundamental um, change in the nature of their relationship as a result of the curse of the woman. <coughs> but it seems to me, perhaps, that the Ibn Ezra allows certainly individual women to reach up to a place, to a time where they can become more perfect, where they can perfect themselves. And even though, as a general matter, men are considered perhaps more perfect than women, but it leaves open the possibility not just of women sinning as they may from time to time in the case of the of the Egel, but also but also repairing that and becoming more perfect and perhaps that's what he was alluding to when he says where again he doesn't he's not a hundred percent clear but the lushan that he has that um that on on that they would eventually be what they once were is perhaps the Ebenezer's very oblique way of suggesting that there is a imagined future that will be like the historic past. Have a good chance.